It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today, I have a conversation for you with Congresswoman Debbie Lesko. She is a representative from the great state of Arizona, and she offers her opinions on a number of different topics that are front of stage in terms of the news today, including border security, the economy, and a number of other issues that are important to her. We had this conversation on Friday right before the deal was struck regarding the debt ceiling, uh, one that is something that she's probably going to end up having to oppose given her positioning within the House Freedom Caucus and as a strong fiscal conservative. Uh, but we'll see the way that things work out going forward. In any case, we discussed that among other issues as well and uh, the prospects that Republicans have of taking back Arizona to be more of a red state. Congresswoman Debbie Lesko coming up next. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Congresswoman Lesko, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, I think that we have a number of different issues to talk about, but, you know, first and foremost, and, you know, we'll see what happens in the, in the coming days. Uh, you have obviously been paying attention to, I'm sure the negotiations between house Republicans, uh, between leadership and the white house to the extent that they exist. Uh, and I'm curious about your perspective on what is going on there with the debt ceiling battle. Well, I certainly think we're going to get something done. The question is, what is it that they're negotiating? Unfortunately, I'm not in the inner loop of negotiators, so I don't know. Now, I was supposed to be leading a trip to Taiwan and leaving tomorrow, uh, but I canceled it because of the uncertainty. I didn't want to, you know, me and a couple of members be all the way over in Taiwan looking at the Taiwan semiconductor plant and having to be hauled back. Uh, for for hours. But, you know, Republicans uh, were responsible. We were the adults in the room. Uh, as you know, we passed a piece of legislation that would increase the debt ceiling through the end of March of next year, $1.5 trillion. But in exchange for that, we asked for reasonable reductions or slowing down of the out-of-control government spending and said, hey, okay, We'll increase the debt limit, but you need to slow down your ridiculous spending. And it's kind of like if you had a, a, a kid or a spouse, quite frankly, that just had out of control spending and you gave them a credit card, would you talk to them and say, hey, I'll, I'll leave you have your credit card, but you need to curb the spending? Or would you do as the Democrats do and say, hey, I'll increase your credit card limit. Just go for it. You know, I mean, this is Republicans are responsible. We just said, OK, we'll do what we have to do. But you need to slow down the spending. This is out of control. 
You can't continue down this path because there's projections that our interest rate or our interest payments, I should say, on our current national debt are going to exceed the entire budget of the Department of Defense soon. I mean, that that's totally unsustainable and national security risk. Why do you think that Speaker McCarthy has been able to do a couple of things now that seem to have caused the White House some consternation? Um you know, held the Congress's line when it came to, you know, crime and, and D.C., you know, uh, passed something on, uh, you know, the immigration front, passed something now, you know, on the debt front that essentially, you know, says, you know, we're going to take these stands and hold things together, even though we have a very slim majority. You know, what has been key to that from your perspective? Well, I think there's two major things. First, he's a good leader. Second, there's a big contingency of conservative members, um, Freedom Caucus members. I've been a member of the Freedom Caucus that are basically saying, all right, we want you to win, Speaker McCarthy, because we want to win and we want America to win. And so, uh, you know, the conservatives are putting forward some reasonable conservative ideas to rein in government spending um, and I think it's because of the small majority that, uh, you know, he needs to listen to conservatives and we're winning. I mean, we've passed all kinds of bills that they didn't think we were going to pass. And now, as you said, a couple of them were signed into law by President Biden. Who would have thought that? You know, I, I think one of the things that is so uh, interesting about this is that the White House seemed to think, that the Senate and the Chamber of Commerce and the business community and Wall Street were going to come in and undermine you when it came to this stance. And when that didn't happen, they seemed to have completely had no backup plan, no script uh, to really go on when it came to confronting, you know, a group of Republicans who really are, at least, you know, according to the polls, standing where Americans want them to on the spending issue. Well, you know, they always do the same thing they always do, which is call us racist, call us white supremacist. You know, as you know, the um, mainstream media is usually an arm of the Democrat Party. So I watched the NBC Nightly News last night and they're saying Republicans want all these drastic cuts and all kinds of things. No, our plan is not drastic. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable plan that if people knew it in America, I think the majority of people would agree that it's a reasonable plan. I think that you, you want to send it back to the horrible to... hellscape of America as it was one fiscal year ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And you know, uh, spending has just gotten out of control. We have to rein it in. Uh, families are struggling right now because of inflation, because of the high cost of gasoline. Do you know that gasoline costs about five bucks a gallon here in Phoenix, Arizona? It's, it's I think it's the highest in the entire nation. And people that are just living paycheck to paycheck, which is a lot of people, they can't afford this yeah. stuff. They can't afford the price of groceries now, the price of energy, the price of gasoline. Uh, you know, everything is becoming more expensive. And it, I don't think most people really understand why the prices have gone up. And it's probably a bit of other different things, but certainly a big part of it is Biden and the Democrats out of control spending and their policies. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing as a border state uh, in terms of the ramifications of Biden's policies there. Uh, Obviously, you know, we see on the national level all of this footage, you know, from, you know, Bill Malusian down in Eagle Pass and from, you know, a lot of the other uh, coverage that we have along the border. Uh, What is the experience like in a border state, uh, particularly in a major city that is the one that is, you know, the destination quite often of a lot of migrants who might come across? Well, this is totally unsustainable. We've had a border security problem for years and years and years. Under the Obama administration, they didn't enforce border security either. And so it was kind of a message to the entire world, just as it is now, come on in. I mean, in Yuma, Arizona, the elected officials down there told me they have people coming in from 165 different countries. This isn't just people coming from Mexico or Central America. These are people coming from all over the place, all over the world, and it's absolutely unsustainable. Just last week in Nogales, Arizona, um, the Border Patrol uh, apprehended 208,000 fentanyl pills you know, just one day, this was just one day. And uh, they say that they only, they estimate they only apprehend between 10 and 15% of all the drugs that are coming across the border. So our homelessness problem is getting worse here. Our um, drug deaths are getting worse here uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, This is totally unsustainable. I went to the medical examiner's office, which was kind of gory but interesting at the same time and i can't remember the percentage i think they said there was a 600 percent increase in fentanyl deaths uh, that they have experienced and it's just a huge problem uh, not only in arizona but nationwide uh, one of the other things that's happened in terms of the uh, the biden administration's approach to the border you know, has been this uh, this real media blackout. You had so much attention paid to the border uh, underneath the Trump administration uh, by uh, the non-Fox networks that finally uh, were paying attention to the issue, using it as a way to go after the administration uh, and uh, the, the challenges that they were facing there. You know, whatever you think of those, of those policies, uh, has it been noticeable to you uh, the difference in terms of the way the media is covering things this time of trying to downplay the level of people coming across or, you know, that, that really ridiculous headline, um, uh, that headlines that, uh, you know, said, you know, in the, in the wake of title 42, no border surge, even when it was the highest days on record in terms of the people who were, uh, who were, were actually, uh, you know, scooped up. Um, what is your perspective on that? Well, yeah, most of the media, um, downplays it because Biden is in office. And they're, like I said, that they act like an arm of the Democrat Party. They so totally support Biden. Uh, when they report about me or any other Republican, they usually put a derogatory uh, adjective in front of our name every time they talk about us, even if we do good legislation. Um, and, and so we're, Republicans are usually have an uphill battle, right? Because most of the media is against us, biased against us. Usually the Democrats raise a whole bunch of more campaign money than we do. But miraculously, we still win. <laughs> you know, we still won a majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. But yeah, it's, it's, it's totally disappointing. 
Um, it, it, but it's such a difference. Under the Trump administration, the, re, the remain in Mexico policy uh, alone, that like totally decreased the amount of people that even wanted to come here. Because as you know, when these um, illegal immigrants cross the border, they claim asylum uh, because of our, our asylum laws. The standard uh, to come in is so low that they come in then they're set, most of the time they're told, okay, show up to court. Um, and it's sometimes years later because there's so many people crossing the border and it's their ticket in. And that's why when the House recently uh, passed legislation on border security, it reinstated the remain in Mexico policy because if people can't get into the United States, they're not going to come. And that's what Trump did. It was very effective. And if there was only one thing that could be done, that would be it. Now, Biden administration has said that they're considering doing this. But quite frankly, I don't trust them because down in Yuma, Arizona, they had all these uh, openings in the border fence. And they had promised 15 months ago that they were going to close them. They're still not closed. So I, I don't trust the Biden administration at all. They're just trying to prioritize getting more illegal immigrants, processing more illegal immigrants into our nation instead of securing the border. I know that you are you're on the COVID-19 select subcommittee. Um, one of the things that I hear the most when I travel around the country is uh, people who are frustrated that there aren't ramifications uh, or that there's still a lack of knowledge uh, about why decisions were made uh, during the pandemic that affected them, that, you know, shut down their businesses, you know, hurt their livelihood, shut down the schools, et cetera. When it comes to your own sort of perspective on uh, on COVID, uh, both from the international uh, ramifications of, of wanting to know more uh, about uh, what China didn't tell us and the like, uh, and for the domestic situation in terms of how decisions were made, what is the end game for something like that? Because I think that the American people aren't going to be satisfied with just one more, you know, congressional commission, you know, bureaucratic uh, laced report uh, that just, uh, you know, puts things out there, but doesn't have, you know, real, uh, you know, essentially uh, career ramifications for the people who are making those decisions. Well, yeah, it's it's difficult because we had Walensky come in front of one of my committees um, and, you know, others come in front of us. And quite frankly, they, in my opinion, they lie. I mean, Fauci, I read through a deposition, I think it was from the state of Missouri. Um, it was several yes. hundred pages, right? But, you know, I mean, in one place, he says one thing in the deposition, and then in another part of the same deposition, he says the exact opposite. So it's totally contradictory. And that's what's happened throughout, you know, the whole time. Uh, we also had a hearing on what happened with Governor Cuomo in New York. It was absolutely atrocious. In fact, in the hearing, I said, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off, just like the American people are pissed off, because uh, there was such a difference in policy. In New York, 21 uh, senior citizens died per facility there versus in Arizona, which has a huge senior citizen population, 2.5 people died. And it's because of the policy that Como had that forced nursing homes to take in COVID-positive 
um, patients. And so one of the things that we're doing, we're trying to not only have hearings, but at the end of this, I hope we're going to do some legislation. And one of the pieces of legislation I really want to see passed or put in our budget, no more funding for gain of function research, okay? No more funding for gain of function research unless, to, unless we have a better handle on what's going on because that was just atrocious. When we are funding, you know, studies at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that then, in my opinion, there was probably a leak from there that caused millions of people to die. I mean, and we're funding it. It's absolutely atrocious. I'm, I'm as mad as everybody else, and I want to get something done, too. I'm going to ask you a process question before we get back to the legislative side of things. You know, obviously, over the past uh, several years, this has become a major point of, of uh, incidents related to the Trump administration and others, that when you lie to the FBI, uh, that's a crime, even if you haven't been sworn in to anything. People do come in and they testify before Congress and they are sworn in and they frequently lie. And yet Congress, despite the fact that you have the power to hold them in contempt, you almost never, ever do. And when you do, there are no ramifications for it. You know, just looking back at, you know, prior administrations, Eric Holder obviously was held in contempt by the Republicans in Congress because he lied very blatantly uh, about, uh, you know, the gun policy that they had uh, running guns into Mexico. Uh, and yet, there, you know, despite the fact that, that you know, he complained about it and was insulted by it, uh, other than irritating him for finding him in contempt, there were no ramifications. Why doesn't the Congress actually use that power? Why does it particularly use it against officials who are lying to your face about the things that they did under COVID uh, that damaged so many Americans' lives? You know, that's probably a better uh, question for Jim Jordan. I mean, Jim Jordan <laughs> is totally on our side, and he's the chair of the Judiciary yeah. Committee. I used to be on the Judiciary Committee. Now I'm on the Energy and Commerce Committee. Um, but, you know, I would assume that he is as anxious as you and I are to prosecute some well, of these Well, he's got a people. lot on his plate, though. <laughs> yeah, he does have a lot on his plate. I mean, obviously now we have kind of our Republicans have our hands tied behind our back now because the Department of Justice and the FBI, they're just working for the Biden administration. That's always been an eye, that has been an eye opener to me. Um because I served well, on judiciary. To be honest, I feel like it's sort of one of those old, uh, you know, it's like a question from the untouchables. It's sort of what are you willing to do? Because mm -hmm. if you hold the head of a cabinet, yeah. you know, a cabinet official in contempt, and then you actually have ramifications for it, you go to court, you say he should be in jail, he lied to Congress. Um, you know, which should, which can bear, you know, jail time penalties. There are actual, you know, sort of, uh, there, there is historically examples where this has happened. It just doesn't happen anymore because everybody's trying to get along. Uh, but I just feel like this is one of those things where Congress is sort of, there, there's tools that Congress has at its disposal, whether it's the power of the purse, whether it's the subpoena power, whether it's something like that, that Congress typically under Republicans, and but but generally uh, under everybody, uh, 
doesn't really seem willingly to you. Yeah, so. no, I, I agree with you. And the Democrats definitely are more cutthroat than we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, they go, they've been going after Trump for how many years now and uh, <laughs> indicting him and false information, Russia collusion. And then we find out through the Durham report, which quite frankly, we already knew, but it confirmed it that there's bad actors in the Department of Justice and FBI. Now, uh, one of them was held accountable and what got 12 months probation or something like that. And the other two were acquitted. I I don't know for sure, but I assume they were acquitted in like a D.C. area court because they're all a bunch of liberals in D.C. And, um, you know, so but I agree with you. You bring up you bring up Durham and that's a perfect example. Yeah. Congress does have the power to just say to the Department of Justice, you don't get any more money until Andrew McCabe doesn't have a you know, pension anymore. That's just that's it's just it, you don't get any more. That's, I think that's I think we're definitely working on that. Um, <laughs> if not totally defunding them, uh, reducing yes. the amount of money that they have. And I definitely think a lot of Republicans, including myself, agree with that. Now, I don't think it's just Republicans. I think that yeah. I know a lot of independents who are very, very offended right. by the fact right. that they're still paying this guy's salary. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's and it's it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah. It's really it's it's a sad day. And you uh, you know you you're where I'm at, but it's a sad day when I can't trust our own FBI or Department 100%. of Justice. Now, there's been people all along that are like, oh, boy, Debbie, you were so naive that you trusted them at all to begin with. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, that's I was before I was in Congress and before I was on the Judiciary Committee during impeachment, I was one of those uh, naive people. I'll, I'll, I'll just is it, is it Midwestern it. Christianity that's maybe making you that? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I grew yeah, up in like Kohler in a, in a small town of 1,200 people. I trusted people. But, yep. you know, yep. the, the thing is, is that it's been an eye opener. And it's really more and more Americans are seeing it. And it, it, we're, this is very serious, because when you can't trust, when I can't trust, our own law enforcement and our agencies, um, we have a huge problem in America. And you're right. We have to use the power of the purse. We have to use the, the court system, whatever we can do. And quite frankly, in the past, Republicans seem to have been more um, reticent about pushing it. Democrats push all their stuff through. They push. They just push, push, push. When they're in power, they got so much liberal stuff passed through. They, I don't think they cared about the consequences. They just pushed it yeah. through. They knew what they wanted well, and they pushed it through. And we need and to also get better. They found at out it. a way to domesticate their progressive sort of Bernie Sanders wing, um, and and let them sort of they mouth off, but then they still vote with the party, uh, you know, lockstep. Um, I want to ask you a political question before I ask you about your uh, your uh, Women's Bill of Rights. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who uh, talk about and ask me about what's going on in Arizona and how Republicans can win there again. Um, it's certainly you certainly qualify as a purple state now. I got I hate to tell you that um, they're worried that you might end up being blue uh, when it comes to winning back Arizona, you know, not just on the congressional level, but statewide. What do you think are the key things that need to happen? Well, the, the candidates obviously matter, right? And mm-hmm. so 
Here in Arizona, we have roughly a third registered Republicans, a third registered Democrats, and a third other. You know, you can call them independent if you want, but they usually leave their party blank, right? So, you know, they just don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And so you have to attract those other independent voters if you're going to win a statewide election. Now, I think, quite frankly, the mistake that Carrie Lake made uh, is that she did not, she won the primary, but then she didn't talk about other issues. She concentrated, in my opinion, too much on the past election. And we need to, we can talk about that, we can talk about election integrity, but we, we have to talk about what we're going to do. Uh, and that will attract uh, the independents. We do have a Republican candidate for U.S. Senator right now, Mark Lamb. He's a sheriff in Pinal County. I like him. I think he's a likable guy. Um, I don't know who else is going to jump into the race uh, for U.S. Senate on the Republican side, but we obviously have a shot. Ruben Gallego, the Democrat that's running, is way too liberal. liberal. He's also not likable. Well, he seems um, like a hothead. Just yeah, you know, he you know he uses the F word. Right? He uses yeah. the F word on Twitter and other social media. He seems to get really upset about things and swear and that type of thing. I don't think Arizona would go for that. Um, and quite frankly, we don't know what Kirsten Cinema is going to do yet. Now we have this. I, I thought it was interesting that this no party. Um, political party has uh, qualified to be on the ballot here in Arizona, and maybe she's going to run under that label. I don't know. I think it's called no party label, yeah, if, no I, if, I, yeah. if I remember right. Um, and uh, the Arizona Chamber of Commerce had her as a guest speaker. And, uh, you know, so she's positioning herself uh, well. But I do think Republicans have a good shot as long as we have a candidate that can not only appeal to the majority of the Republicans, but can appeal to the independents as well, because otherwise they're not going to win. Mm -hmm. um, just one last question. You know, one of the things that happens, you know, sometimes in, in states, and I saw this uh, myself here in Virginia, um, is that when you have kind of established statewide people who are there for a long time, you know, parties can become complacent. They can sort of forget about the, you know, the different things that you have to do really uh, to win. And I wonder what your perspective is on the Arizona Republican Party. What do you think that it needs to do in order to put candidates in the best position that once they win the nomination that they can have an infrastructure that they can rely on and people who are really engaged on that front? Well, I've been a Republican precinct committeeman for over 20 years now, so I've been involved in the Arizona Republican Party for a long time. The thing that we can do, I don't know if we will do, is we need to unite and get back to the basics. We need mm -hmm. to get back to registering voters, going door knocking, uh, talking to our neighbors, getting out our message. That's the basics that you need to do. In I, I my noticed opinion. you didn't say tweeting <laughs> on, in that list of things. Well, tweeting is fine, too, if that's the best way to get out your message. However, you get out the message, but you got to get back to the basics. Unfortunately, yeah. 
The entire time that I have been involved, over 20 years, there's always infighting within the Republican Party. And these people concentrate more on fighting with each other than on the mission of beating the Democrats. And it frustrates the heck out of me. And I try to get them focused because they're here censoring. You know, we have some Republic, local Republican Party groups that are censoring sitting members of the state legislature, like our Speaker of the House, you mm. know, is a Republican. They're censoring him. I'm like, stop wasting the time and focus on the Democrats. That's my opinion. Don't know if it will happen, but I try to encourage people to do that. Uh, so let's go out on this. You have uh, uh, backed a piece of, of legislation that I've talked to. Uh, it's been a while since I talked to a guest about it, uh, but I know that it's backed by the Independent Women's Forum. Um, uh, the uh, Women's Bill of Rights. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because you know, at a time when so many people are talking about, you know, uh, uh, woke culture and 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 you know the culture war issues related to that. Personally, I think that what's happening to women, particularly uh, uh, girls and and young women, and and particularly in the context of academia and sports, scholarships and the like. I th I think woke is an insufficient term for that. From my perspective, you know, woke is when you slap a, a you know a rainbow or uh, or something on something that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with it. Um, it's it's more symbolism. Uh, but what seems to be happening to to women and to girls is really much more aggressive. It seems to be something that is designed to really eliminate their ability uh, to reap the benefits of, of programs, you know, like Title IX that have been around for a long time and helped uh, a lot of uh, female athletes and the like succeed. What does the Women's Bill of Rights do? Well, first of all, I totally agree with you. Um, for whatever reason, the liberals and most Democrats are attacking women. I mean, it's discrimination against women. Uh, women no longer have safe private spaces. They no longer can fairly compete in women and girls sports. Um, they're allowing males who identify as women to be in women uh, prisons. And some of these males are raping the women. Well, go figure, who would have thought that one to happen? Like common sense. But, you know, and also in my local school district here, Peoria, Arizona, Peoria Unified School District, uh, two of the five uh, school board members uh, wanted um, to pass, uh, I don't know what you call it, a bylaw, I don't know what you call it at mm -hmm. that level, but say males can't go in the women's bathrooms. Well, it, it was defeated. Three of the Others said, no, we're not going to pass that. So it was a three to two vote. And I've been told that girls in our local elementary and high schools are afraid to go to the bathroom. They're holding it. They're not going to the bathroom because they don't want to be there with males. This is just wrong. It's wrong. And that's why I feel so strongly about this Women Bill of Rights. It basically defines what a woman is or what a female is and what a male is. And it defines what the words mother and father mean. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs that we had to do this because obviously up until this point, uh, everybody knew 
what a mother and a father was. Everybody knew what a male and a female were, but obviously people are very confused right now. When you have a Supreme Court justice who can't even answer the question, what is a woman? I mean, I mean, we're in a sad state of affairs. And so it was when I was on Judiciary Committee and I was the one of I was the woman that would speak out about these issues. Right. So all the guys would turn over their five minute time to me to talk about this stuff. But, you know, we're living in a surreal world when the Republican witness to defend our view of women's rights was a registered Democrat who was uh, a lesbian, who was kicked off of some type of um, LGBTQ group in, uh, in Baltimore because she didn't agree that males should be able to compete in women's sports and she didn't agree with the radical left that uh, males should go into women's bathrooms. She's like, hey, I fought for these rights. I want my safe space. I'm a woman. I want my own space. I don't want men to compete in my sports. I don't want men in my bathrooms. And she's a Republican witness that agrees with us. Unbelievable. You know, that really does speak to the moment that we're in. And I think that, and this is something that I say to a lot of my uh, liberal friends who uh, in fact, I was just saying it the other day to a friend of mine who uh, who's in the media, you know, talking about this, where I try to make the distinction, like, you know, some of this stuff that you categorize as woke is, you know, people kind of online fighting over signals and the like. But there is nothing more fundamental than experiencing the idea that uh, your child is going to have to go through some kind of horrific experience just because of what someone else says in their imaginary conception of who they are, that that's that alone, you know, allows them the power to invade your child's life in that way. It's just absolutely disgusting to me. I can't accept it. And I can't believe how quickly the left has accepted it as something that everyone needs to believe. Well, I agree with you. I don't understand how my Democratic women colleagues can support all this stuff because it's taking away the rights from women. And when uh, liberals say I'm being discriminatory against transgenders, I say, no, I'm not. You're being discriminatory against women. Mm -hmm. If transgenders want to have their own bathroom, go for it. If they want their own sports teams and category, go for it. But, you know, don't infringe on women and girl rights. It's not mm-hmm. it's not fair and it's not right. Yeah. Uh, Congressman, Congresswoman Lesko, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join me today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. It was interesting. I love talking about these issues. More of the Ben Dominich podcast right after this. My best wishes to you all for a happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope that you marked the occasion by celebrating your freedom with your friends, but also by honoring those uh, who have given up the ultimate sacrifice in order to maintain those freedoms. One of the things that I think that we do far too little of in America is bind together in order to try to achieve things that honor those who've come before us. It's one of the reasons why I hope that you'll check out The Honor Project, something that my sister has done with the Travis Mannion uh, Foundation, a foundation that is dedicated to honoring those who have given up that ultimate sacrifice. 
The Honor Project was started several years ago in response to the uh, challenge during the pandemic that many people faced of being unable unable to access uh, the uh, graves of many of the people who have uh, been, you know, typically those that they would visit on Memorial Day. You can find out more about this at travismanion.org online and learn more about the Honor Project. Even if you missed out on it this year, it's something to keep in mind for next year as a way to uh, represent the feelings that you have both towards those uh, who've given things up in terms of serving the country, but also as a representative of those who are unable to travel to make the distance in order to visit the loved ones that have gone before them. I hope that you'll check that out. Again, the website is travismanion.org. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast brought to you by Fox News. We'll be back soon with more to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.